feed, everyone. This is Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by our historian, Eric Perrot. We're here tonight. Let's go. And our man in the closet, Jake Wall. What's going on, Marty and Eric? Good to hear you. And we're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So, take your seats, get informed, and have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. That was much better without the phones going off. So. Marty, I like how the man in the closet implies that I'm still closetedly gay. Well, it, it could it could be, but it could be a secret closet. Yeah. You know? I mean, we had yeah, a like, we had our our super secret closet or whatever the hell we called it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. are you are you really gonna buy that that whole super secret thing? Or is this really no, just that's dumb too. That's dumb too. <laughs> well, but that could. I mean, they were super secret for a long time. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people who say we should go back to don't ask, don't tell. And so uh, maybe Jake's going back in the closet. We're talking about the six foot five guy sitting in the closet. like the original hipster style i'm bringing it back back i'm going vintage don't ask don't tell yeah that's right yeah it's moving on moving on we i think we should bring in that music chime again well there is a i'm gonna learn how to add sound effects to zoom so uh, one of these days maybe when you guys get back from all your your world travels here in a couple weeks i'll have it down to a science (laughs) Or maybe I'll have two new hosts. Who knows? <laughs> Be like, fair. hey guys, just just keep. I, I'm not doing it this week, so just keep taking <laughs> just keep taking some time off. <laughs> uh, so I I I interviewed uh, a guy named Nate Hasselu. He was a PFC in the Army. Uh, he runs Gunner Main Radio, so he does a podcast out on Spotify called Gunner Main Radio. He is in the army, and he was in Iraq during the first battle of Fallujah. Ooh. Uh, yeah, he was artilleryman, like yours truly. So, uh, but when we were talking about the conditions over there, it it really brought us back, or it brought descriptions back of like Vietnam and Somalia together, because you know he was saying day to day they'd get pot shotted at, and then sometimes you wouldn't know where the IEDs were, and and so on and so forth. So I was thinking about talking to him talking about Somalia and the way how just dangerous it was. But it brought me back to Black Hawk Down. This is a long story, I know. But so I rewatched Black Hawk Down. I hadn't seen it for years. Right. I remember when it first came out. And when it first came out, what, uh, in the uh, early 2000s, I think? I can't remember what the date of it was. I'll get you a date. But a lot of those actors were really young. And so you didn't yeah. think about it at the time, but then, you know, I've seen it a couple of times. I'm like, oh, that guy's not even American. You know, like Eric Bana, he was in there, I think, right? Yeah. Um, Ewan McGregor was one of the rage. Ewan McGregor had one of the best lines in that movie where the guy was like, he's Ewan McGregor's typing up reports and making coffee and stuff. Yeah. And the guy's like, how'd you get stuck with this gig? And he mm. goes, I have this rare and elusive skill called... <laughs> Typing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is true. And he can make coffee. 
compared to the other guys that are with him are just straight brute force. Right, right. <laughs> um, but they needed a, I mean, how many guys had, uh, I mean, you've seen units that have like ghost staff, right? They just take somebody oh, off the floor because yeah. he knows how to do this, this, or this. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, he typing and coffee, that was his big qualifications. 2001. 2001. All right. So a lot of those guys were early in their career. Yeah. But, I, I started going through that, and I was like, oh, he's a foreign guy. He's a British guy. He's a British guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Brits in there, huh? It's, and, and, and so I brought the cast up now, and I'm like, there's at least seven. Even They, they even had, you remember that uh, uh, the character Twombly, or the, the guy t- who played Twombly? He was the guy who... Couldn't hear most of the movie because he oh, shot yeah, that yeah. machine gun next to him. Yeah, yeah. he ripped off the Yeah, <laughs> that's the guy for. He was in Snatch. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and uh, he was a comedian, you know. And I was like, why did they have so many British guys playing American guys? Hmm. So that was good. That that section in Snatch is good too, where he rolls up his head in the window. <laughs> yeah, he has it by the driving. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just driving. Uh, look at you, you peen ass. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't know what that means, but it's such a good insult. Um, so I was thinking about it, as, and it doesn't bother me. You know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. I mean, they're acting American. You know, you notice how British actors always do like a Southern accent when they do American accents. They tend to do Southern accents. I'm amazed at how well they can do it. Because it's well, a, right, it's an actual accent versus a neutral inflection of oh, right, right. It's e- I think it's easier for them to get rid of their accent to do a southern accent. It hides any errors in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I started thinking, uh, does it offend me as an American? I was like, no, not really. I mean, does it offend you guys to have foreign guys play American military? No, they're no. good. Yeah. It doesn't bother me a bit. Now, then you go well. How about the Russians watching Sean Connery, a Scot, uh, yeah. play a Russian subcommander? <laughs> of course, they probably, the Russians probably didn't like that movie anyway. So. Yeah, they didn't like that movie anyway. And, <laughs> and when that movie went up, wasn't, it wasn't. It was still Cold War, yeah. Yeah, it was close to the end of the Cold War. So. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But I wonder what I wonder what like the reaction say of Scots were. To Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah. Like, Look at this son of a bitch. <laughs> An Australian guy playing a Scott. Yeah. He's American. Thing, he like, just lived in Unless Australia. they do a poor job, you know. Yeah. If they right, do a good job, right. people are like, all right, fine. If they do a bad job, everybody's going to trash talk him. But just in that area, everybody else is just blissfully ignorant. But yeah, it just struck me how many uh, foreign guys were in that movie. And then I ran across something that was like, well, why do they hire so many British guys uh, for American military roles? And somebody just put, oh, it's a lot cheaper than paying the SAG and the union guys for American actors. That's probably the biggest thing right there. Yeah, I would agree. And plus, <laughs> they're all big actors. I mean, they were, they're big <clears throat> actors now. Yeah, uh, They weren't necessarily back then, but you had the Eric Bana, Ewan McGregor, Tom Hardy. I didn't realize Tom Hardy was in it. Yeah, he's in there. Yeah, he was the one that was with your comedian firing the machine gun. 
when they ran across Oh, he was with him? Oh, yeah. that was him? I didn't realize yeah. that. Uh, Orlando Bloom. Yep. Uh, Josh see. Hartnett, the main character. Well, he's American. I know. I'm just saying he was in it. <laughs> no, dude, I'm talking about how young he was. Oh, yeah. Right. I was trying you know, to talk about the He wasn't foreign, established. The foreign I, I, actors. I, I, oh, come on. Oh. I like how they got the ages right, though. Right? Oh, yeah. That yeah. is the age demographic of your standard military unit. Right. You right. A crusty, I mean, a couple of crusty 30 year olds, one 40 year old. <laughs> yeah. Right. If that. And then the rest are early 20s and, and teenagers, you know, mixed in yep. there. It's funny, yeah. it, 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 uh, Tom Sizemore, who was an E7, we should add him to our E7 list. So Sergeant Holka, I can't remember his name in, in Private Ryan, but he was an E7 in Private Ryan, and now he's a lieutenant colonel yeah. in Black Hawk Down. So interesting, just on a side note. Uh, all right, Eric, what uh, happened on this day in U.S. military history? Well, you know, we discussed May 8th and what May 8th was, and that was VE Day, which was a pretty big day. But I thought right. this would be a lot more fun. May 9th, um, an element of the 36th Division that belongs to, uh, who was the unit? It belonged to the 7th Army in Bavaria, Germany, picked up a German, high-ranking German. Can you determine who that was, fellas? 1945, May 9th. All right, oh, so I'm going to give you a Wait, wait, wait. That was the guy who was trying to uh, sneak through the lines, I think, right? Nope. Wrong guy. Yeah. I'm going to give I you a couple of So the first tent, he was crooked-lipped. He had a crooked lip. <laughs> that was way off. I voted for Hedy Lamar, but. <laughs> Hedy Lamar. All right. So we don't know who the crooked lip guy is. How about. Colonel, Colonel Clink. <laughs> Who played him Good in guess. Glorious Bastards? Uh, I don't know. You know but he was, he was assigned the Prime Minister of Prussia. Does that help? No. 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 All right, well, relax. I got a few more hints. Oh, jeez. No. Head of the Gestapo. Gehring? Heinrich Himmel. Yes. Good oh, guess, Gehring. Yeah, Gehring was trying. I thought he was trying to sneak through the lines. No, the guy who was trying to sneak through the lines was the guy with the black trench coat that was. Um, Gehring was the Luftwaffe, the head of the Luftwaffe. And that's yeah. who they caught May 9, 1945. Oh, okay. He was the commander chief of the Luftwaffe. He was president of the Reichstag, head of Gestapo, prime minister of Prussia, and Hitler's designated successor. But he was taken prisoner by the U.S. 7th Army on May 9, 1945, in Bavaria. Bavaria. Uh, Bavaria. Bavaria. Yes. <laughs> you know, you, I am the librarian. You're supposed to help me educate my. Uh... You got the you got the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> no, that was the sheep country of Bavaria. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, <there you> <laughs> So I wanted to give you a little background, Mr. Gehring. Some maybe you didn't know. Uh, Gehring's failure to win the Battle of Britain and prevent the Allied bombing of Germany led to his 
loss of stature within the party. Yeah. Aggravated by the low esteem with which he was always held by fellow officers because of his egocentrism and position as Hitler's right-hand man. As the war progressed, he dropped into a Great Depression and was battling drug addiction. Mm. So I didn't know the drug addiction. I knew he was battling depression, but the drug de- depression was pretty serious. When they arrested him, he was found with a, a variety of pills, a wide variety of pills. Could you imagine nice. uh, being on that command staff around Hitler? I mean, holy, <sighs> that's, that's like, uh, you don't know what knife is coming out of what doorway to get you. I mean, hell, Hitler had yeah. Rabo killed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. One of his best generals. Well, and he told him, you could commit suicide or we're going to kill you. Right. So early on, so. there's the Japanese invented and used methamphetamines. Okay. And, oh, yeah. Create super hurt. Yeah, super they were bullets. trying to do that kind of stuff. But then later on, the Germans were picked it up and were using it also. So I'm wondering if he was all hopped up on meth. I, I, think, I don't think it was to, meth. To be in those regimes, you need something to cope, right? Well, you guys, you know, he was wounded. He was wounded in the groin, and that's uh-huh. what's that's what started him down the opioid uh, uh, road. He uh-huh. was taking painkillers for his injury, Jesus, and that led, along with the depression, to the the drug addiction. Did they so, say how they caught him, or they just kind of caught him? He was getting ready to turn himself in, and okay. they caught him. Oh, Because right. he knew the war was coming to an end. Plus, he was scared that Hitler was going to have him killed. That's what I mean. You got to be just running yeah. around, man. Just because like- of the, the failure of, you know, allowing the uh, uh, the uh, allies to bomb the shit out of Germany. Well, sure. And uh, I mean, this failure you know, to stop that. Valkyrie was the. Uh- Oh yeah. There was other guys who tried to kill him too. It was like Oh, there was multiple assassinations. Guys, we've made a huge mistake following this dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do we get out of it? Yeah, that's a good one, man. That's a good one. Right in line with uh uh V E Day as well. Yeah, because really. it was coming to an end. It was coming yeah. to an end. Yeah. So. All right, we ready for the news? Got some pretty good stories. Now we've actually had uh, to acknowledge out there, that, and you know, we're not. I chose not to cover these because everyone's covering them. You know, you have the the <coughs> the ex uh, army guy who what he he ran his car over to people or whatever. Then you have the other soldier who's getting tried for killing the Black Lives protester. Oh yeah, and yeah. he got the drag queen campaign in the navy. navy yeah yeah so all that's all that's kind of none of it's good no yeah. none of it's, no. Really, it's really a bad time you know so uh i know those are covered and those are probably especially the navy ones but you know if we were that type to go ah well let's make fun of all the other services well we were all in the air force so we're kind of yeah. like yeah we'll be a little humble about that <laughs> <laughs> but well but one thing I did, I did think that was interesting because I, I, I was thinking about covering that story about the the drag queen. Mm. Now that that digital campaign they did ended, right? It ended in March. I don't know how it just got out here, but this guy's been performing on ships as a drag queen 
for the last three or four years. No, and then uh, and the Navy was allowing that. Yeah, the Navy was allowing it, right? Right. Um, the uh, first known instance of that was in that um, movie Under Siege. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> with the <laughs> yeah, when the commander yep. on the boat was dressed yep. as a woman. She, she jumped right out of the cake. You mean Erica Alaniac was a guy? No, no. The, the, I know, the, I know, okay. I know. Because <laughs> that's the best looking guy I've ever seen. Well, I'd agree there. Um, yeah. And she actually didn't even pop out of the cake until later. No, she fell asleep. Yeah. That's the part I remember. Well, and the, the commanding officer had those pink circles on his rosy cheeks. Like the real, like a doll. Yeah, he was. He actually, he was. Uh, I think the XO. I think. Yeah, yeah. Gary, he was one of Gary the Busey, right? Gary yeah. Busey. That's right. He was the turncoat. So, <laughs> so anyway, we tried to go to. Uh, uh, we don't want to be that like a political show, and we don't want to be that timely because that takes a lot of work to be timely. timely. So, mm-hmm. uh, but here's some other stories <laughs> that a, a lot of people are carrying, and like I was talking with Eric before you got on, Jake. That we did, you know, the, the other thing, I got a couple texts just today about Fort Hood being renamed to Fort Cavazos, right? Yeah, yeah. But we did that story months ago. Yeah, months we ago. did that a while ago. So, I, I mean, there's more to come. We know them all. I should, I should actually put that out on Instagram when we were first covering it. But so I like this because all these stories are out there. But, uh, you know, who reads these, you know? Stars and Stripes, Times, uh, Military Times and stuff, um, but us. So we we scour them to bring you good stories. <laughs> All right, out of the news. First story that's right up your alley, Jake. Uh, it's from thedrive.com, which has an occasional military story on it. It's a, it's a kind of a neat website. But um, anyway, it's uh, the headline is the A-10 Warthog to soon carry. Actually, it's the A-10 Thunderbolt 2 yep. is, soon, is to be is soon to carry 16 small diameter bombs in combat. So oh, yeah, yeah they, they figured out a way through this software, right, to uh utilize what are those what are those things under the wings called that hold the munitions? Well they got they they rails? have injecting racks, yeah, and then, or there's the actual munition rails that for missiles. Uh, yeah, because they were carrying that uh, AG, the Maverick, right? Were yeah, the Maverick, the Maverick? Going on rails. It slides on, and then missiles go on rails. The the triple ejection rack or tur mounts to just a mounting point, and then you can put three different three bombs on there. Wow, well, they're they're loading on there. That's cool, though. Yeah, the U.S. Air Force A-10 Warthogs can now employ. Up to 16 GBU-39Bs, which are small diameter bombs or SDBs. Uh, They can carry up to 16 on a single sortie uh, with the help of a new software update. Four of the five pylons under the fuselage were recently loaded with specialized bomb racks, each holding four SDBs during a test sortie to validate the software for frontline distribution. The recent test took place uh, between April 19th and 20th and saw personnel attached to the 422nd Test and Evaluation Squadron ex- assess an updated version 
of Operation Flight Program, or OFP-11 software that controls aircraft avionics and enables the integration of weapons. As part of the newer version of this software, the 422nd TES specifically tested an update software patch that supports two additional GBU-39B SDB racks. This test marked the first time the A-10 carried and employed all four bomb racks for a total of 16 GBU-39Bs on a single jet. 16 of these bombs. That's yeah. crazy. So what is this? They're 250 pounds each. Yeah, very good. And yeah, They're glide-enabled, so they're, they're standoff, which is good for the A-10 because it's... Yeah, it's not yeah. it's not swooping in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, not, the acronym GBU, Jake. What was that? The acronym GBU. Uh, I used to know what that meant. I think it's guided bomb unit. Okay. Yeah, I th- I, that's because we used to have shit called ground burst, ground burst units. <laughs> but I'm. Uh, you ever heard of ground burst simulator? GBS. Nope. Uh, I guess it's, it's almost it's almost it's almost like a hand grenade, but it's just a loud freaking firecracker. Oh yeah, but, but it also we, it's got flash to it and everything, and the noise, right? And it does. We use those in our exercises, GBSs. Yeah, well, they are loud as shit. That's where I was going. Yeah. So you're laughing at me for no reason. Well, because you no pa- reason at you, all. You paused at ground burst. It's ground burst unit simulator. <laughs> Well, because I was thinking that the GBU was a ground burst somehow, but it's not. Oh, yeah, it's fair guided. enough. Fair enough. Uh, so yeah, it's not. It's it depends on the fusing on when it's going to go off. Right. So you can set up, set the fusing at altitude. You can set the fusing for at ground contact. You can set it for delayed. Okay. So for penetrator bombs, it'll hit. And the fuse will register that hit, but then it will wait yeah. for fractions of a second and then blow. So it goes through the first couple of layers. And uh, on when we would launch uh, or we would fire artillery missions, yep. you could have proximity fuses that the like the number five man set. Yeah. So they'd be like, you know, either fuse quick, which is right as it hits the ground, it blows up. Or fuse delay points, whatever, and the guy would take like a screwdriver and actually set that on the fuse before they load the shell into the artillery. So that, that's what the three man would do on the. Oh, okay, same thing. So I was a three man, so I handled all the munitions on the trailer and setting fuses and anything like that, and then driving the load truck or yeah. the jammer. And oh, then the two cool. man would set up the racks and functional test the racks with the supervisor who was the one man. Okay. Hmm. And let's hope we have airspace superiority when we're dropping bombs. With the yeah, airplane. pretty much. <laughs> uh, like Jake said, this is a 250 pound uh, guided bomb uh, with ranges up to 40 nautical miles away. So that's pretty significant 40 miles, right? That's pretty good. Uh, major. Mason Vincent, who is an A-10 instructor pilot with the USAF Weapons School, says, we can load four SDBs on each pylon, and we'll carry between four and six of those bomb rack units. So that's 16 
to 24 SDBs on each A-10 with stations to spare. A four-ship of A-10s under that config would be able to carry 64 SDBs. Wow. 64 bombs on four A-10s. If you think about that, too, he just said they're loading four 250-pound bombs on one rack. Yeah. That's a thousand pounds on one rack. That shows you the capabilities of that A10, man. Yeah, so they're taking off with that. It's four thousand pounds, and you know there's other stuff on there. Well, that that does beg the question. You got rockets. You, I'm sure you have ammo for the nose gun. Yeah, you have rounds in the in the gal, like all that kind of stuff. And they they didn't address that. Uh, You know, is that they were able to load, you know, sixteen bombs plus the full complement of the gal you know all the ammo on that gal i don't know they didn't address that so uh but that's that's hauling a lot that makes that a10 even slower oh yeah (laughs) but a badass platform wow Yeah. yeah uh they said the challenge for the uh test squadron and the wider a10 community in modernizing the a10 relates to the air force's desire to retire all of its warthogs before the end of the decade. Hmm. They said that last decade. They been, yeah, but they were saying it. They said it before. I think the Gulf War. They wanted to get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Oh, look at this highway of death. Maybe we should that keep Gulf these guys War around." Was to be like its last hurrah, right. and then we're like, "Oh, wait a minute, this thing is really good." <laughs> yeah. And it, and it can do close air support. That's what the ground guys absolutely love. It was because yeah, of yeah. the there. Well, and it can do, I think it, it can do close air support without a whole lot of, because uh, we got trained to do close air support with like uh, the F 16s. Mm-hmm. And you got to put a mark around out there or you got to put smoke out there and then you got to vector them off of that to the target. Where the A 10 is so slow, it's like, hey, do you see these guys? They're like, I got them. <laughs> don't worry we got him yeah i got you so much easier to call in so you're the e7 down there yeah i see your strength just verify yep all right i got you <laughs> uh okay moving on uh from bloomberg news now i think eric that this was in the first days of service headline news when we did that whole Goggles thing. Oh, were you with us, Jake? Did you do the when we reported on the the all in one goggle that the army was uh, trying? Yeah, to that do? was horrible. And then they had an update where it was just clunky and yeah. didn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, Microsoft's headache-inducing army goggles are now delayed for at least two years. Oh, okay. Uh, so an improved model of Microsoft Corporation's goggles. Won't be deployed to U.S. Army combat troops for two more years because a company must first demonstrate it has fixed flaws that left soldiers with headaches, nausea, and eye strain, uh, and that's according to the Army. If the hmm. goggle passes its tests, a version will be fielded starting in July 2025. The latest version is slimmer and lighter and is designed to, quote, greatly improve soldier comfort. Microsoft said. <laughs> that makes me chuckle. <laughs> it's called the IVAS, the Integrated Visual Augmentation System. Uh, it's expected to provide a heads-up display for U.S. ground forces similar to that for fighter pilots. It's based <coughs> on the company's HoloLens mixed reality goggles. 
So, hmm. but according to taskandpurpose.com, back in January of this year, the IVAS, they said the IVAS was subject to an operational demonstration during May and June of 2022. Hmm. The results of the demonstrations weren't pretty. Not only did the system not demonstrate improvements to deficiencies identified during previous hands-on testing, but the infantry company that tested the system was actually more successful accomplishing their operational missions with their current equipment rather than with the new IVAS. As it says soldiers hit fewer targets and engage targets more slowly with IVAS than with their current equipment on the live fire range. Uh, in addition, soldiers simply prefer their own current equipment, which is Nat Warrior and PVS-14 and enhanced night vision goggle binocular night vision devices over the IVAS. There are two distinct reasons for this detailed in the report. First, a majority of soldiers who participated in the operational demonstration reported at least one symptom of physical impairment to include disorientation, dizziness, eye strain, headaches, motion sickness, nausea, neck strain, and tunnel vision. Wow. I guess I covered yeah. it all. Good yeah. qualities to have in battle. Right. <laughs> hey, hey, why are you throwing up? He's like, I got vertigo from these effing glasses. <laughs> Uh, the second reason is a bit simpler. The IVAS simply can't get the job done compared to le legacy equipment. Soldiers cited IVAS's poor light performance, display quality, cumbersomeness. And that goes back to where we were talking about the battery on the chest, right? Or yeah. was it on the back? Was it on the chest or the back? I can't remember. I thought it was on the back. Well, maybe you're right. It was on the back. Um, poor reliability, inability to dis <laughs> inability to distinguish friend from foe. That's a bad yeah. one. Uh, difficulty <clears throat> shooting, physical impairments, and limited peripheral vision as reason for their dissatisfaction. Uh, now, if they get this stuff right, here's what the Microsoft may earn. Over a decade, the Army projects spending as much as $21.9 billion for as <laughs> many as 121,000 devices, spares, and support services if all options are exercised. It has already accepted 5,000 early version goggles with another 5,000 of the next version pending. The first 20 improved goggles assembled by hand are due to be delivered between July and September with initial assessments by soldiers soon after. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Rep uh, Republican Representative Rod Whitman of Virginia said... I am particularly concerned about a product that would cost over $60,000 per soldier. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. Can you yeah. imagine that? Could you imagine turning in your equipment and you're like, ah, report a survey. You're Six, done. <laughs> 60 grand on your IVAS. So like, you're, in the, a you're in the Army for the next 45 years, pal. Oh, my God. That's a, that's a lot. I can't believe that they're trying to go that far. But that's, you know, this... This whole uh, umbrella of military modernization, man, they're just oh, yeah. ending like drunken crazies up there, man. But you guys know, I, based on being in, in a ground war, manning like an FPL, the final protective line. Yeah. You remember, Marty? Yeah, I do. So I can see these, these goggles being really, really helpful from a static position. So where you're not moving, patrolling, Right. 
which causes all the headaches and all that crap. But if you're in a static position, able to use those things and it's, you know, highest capability, I think it would be helpful. Well, I think, uh, I don't know, you know, whenever they invest in some of this technology, you always got to ask, well, what's the next war we're going to fight? And we always get that wrong, right? Because Jake said it a long time ago, we're always fighting the previous war. Yeah. Um, And now coming out of all this insurgency stuff, this city fighting that we've been doing in Afghanistan and Iraq, and then if the balloon goes up with China, I don't think we're doing any city fighting. Yeah, Yeah, who knows what that's going to look like. It's all missiles and standoff distance and all that other stuff. So you're sitting there with your $60,000 goggle, and you're like, yeah, they're over the horizon. You're not going to see anything. Yeah, (laughs) but, you you know, think about this if you're protecting your coastline, the East Coast and the West Coast, from a static position. If you've got something trying to infiltrate, I think they could be helpful. Uh, I agree. From Stars and Stripes. Airmen to fly electric air taxis at California military base by next year. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. This is a short one, but it sounds pretty cool. Edwards Air Force Base in California is set to become the first U.S. military base to have electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft on site for airmen to put to the test. Two of the aircraft, some sometimes called electronic air taxis, are expected to arrive at the base early next year with up to seven more delivered in subsequent months. Manufacturer Joby Aviation announced on Tuesday. What a picture of this thing, man. Did that you is, see it? Did yeah. you bring it up? That's crazy. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's I when you read about what it's supposed to do, if it's just going to shuttle people, it's like, oh, that's, that's going to be a boom to... L.A., Chicago, New York. Oh, yeah. You know, Houston. Sure. Childhood obesity. <laughs> <laughs> Your Uber shows up in a VTOL uh, electric plane. I'll be like, oh, look at this. Yeah. It's Wally. I always envision, one, when I hear about those goggles and everything, I envision that Black Mirror episode where they're shooting those creatures and then the one guy gets the goggles knocked off and they're actually just people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I forgot that. One. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And then every time I hear about some new form of transport, I always envision the people in Wally who started <laughs> off walking and the scooters were for the elderly. And then all of a sudden everybody's got a scooter and nobody can move their toes. <laughs> Wally was almost like a cross uh, between, you know, the, the future and like uh, idiocracy. Mm. You know, because the whole general population yeah, got like exactly. too fat to walk around yep. and stuff. Yep. Need some more Brando. Uh, the this- Air Force in recent years has been supporting the development of electric aircraft, which is interesting. I mean, we, we all keep talking about electric cars, but I'm like electric aircraft. Huh. Yeah, that scares me, man. I'm telling you. Uh, the Joby Aviation aircraft is powered by six electric motors, can carry a pilot and four passengers, and is said to have a range of up to 150 miles. Hmm. So, uh, once the aircraft arrive at Edwards Air Force Base, airmen will train to fly them remotely and from inside the aircraft. I don't know why you'd have a choice. Yeah, you know, but I, I guess it makes sense, I suppose. Uh, Edwards Air Force Base, the Air Force's second largest base, 
and has been the site of scores of aviation milestones. It's where Captain Chuck Yeager and the Bell X-1 first broke the sound barrier on October 14th. Wow, that is so comparable to an electric taxi. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. Oh! So Edwards is where Chuck Yeager broke the sound barrier in the Bell X-1 in 47. It's also where the X-15 became the first winged aircraft to fly Mach 4, 5, and 6. And so Lieutenant Colonel Adam Brooks, director of the Air Force's Emerging Technologies Combined Test Force, said... We are honored to continue the tradition of accelerating emerging aviation technology <laughs> as we become the first base to exercise electric air taxis. Oh. And quite possibly some of the slowest aviation we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we, we took five steps backwards, man. Yeah, it's like, yeah, oh. all that sound barrier, that's for the birds, that's been done. <laughs> Let's get fat people on an air taxi and we'll see how we do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yep. sure I'm on board with this one. I think it's cool. I think, I, it's, I think it's cool too. I mean, and initially it, when you said airman, I was like, wait a minute. I thought you meant like airman, airman. <laughs> like uh, like space, about, like yeah, airman, spaceman kind of thing. Yeah. You're going to put an 18 year old on a freaking air taxi in the middle of the desert. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> You might as well make him an Air Force cop, too. We could barely drive gators. We had to wear bicycle helmets. Oh, yeah. Because some cop rolled theirs and the dude brushed his freaking head or something like that. And they're like, here's some bicycle helmets that we took off every abandoned bike in town. Well, maybe they'll put a reflective belt on those guys when they got to go fly the air taxi. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> That's a good 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 pull on the gator. Okay, also from Stars and Stripes. Now, I thought this was going to be a much better article until I read it through. So I won't say anything. I just want you guys to draw a conclusion. Mm. But the Navy announces a bill of rights for sailors in barracks in bid to raise morale. Okay, bill of rights. Yeah, that sounds interesting. A bill of rights. Yeah. <laughs> The U.S. Navy will implement a Bill of Rights and Responsibilities for Sailors Living in Unaccompanied Housing by the end of the month, a move intended to raise morale, the service announced Thursday. The document outlines a variety of guarantees and expectations that succinctly address sailors' concerns while setting clear expectations that sailors are also responsible for their housing conditions. Does that really need to be said? I thought that was kind of assumed. Yeah, keep your house clean. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, mow your mow your yard. You know, don't have any transgender dress up women <laughs> to men. Navy. Oh, okay, oh, go there. Sorry. Separate oh. issue. Separate oh. issue. But they have the same rights there, Eric. Yes, <laughs> they do. Uh, this bill of rights and responsibilities makes it clear what guarantees we promise unaccompanied housing residents while establishing establishing what their obligations are for maintaining their housing said Steve Drum, who's the director of housing for the command in the release. I, I thought that was all in like the thing you signed to get in there anyway. So it seems here's, very here's obvious. The thing that they might be overlooking is that the military doesn't control a lot of their base housing anymore. It's oh, yeah. Privatized. That's right. That's so right. The base housing has been privatized. So now they have people that 
aren't really paying rent and are <laughs> used to having CE come out and fix everything. Yeah. You know, that yeah. used to be the standard. Or you'd go to the self-help shop and do stuff. And do it yourself. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Well, they got rid of those. They got rid of CE's ability to come out and fix the houses because it's all privatized. privatized. Now. Uh. Yeah. And they have nothing to really enforce any of this because no military members are having to correct it. It's all some random civilian contract. Now, that's a good point, man. Good. So you're thinking this is why the establishment of this Bill, bill of Rights and responsibilities? Uh, I think they were trying to get... Hold them accountable in some way? Yeah, they're trying to get... Okay, fine. We'll give you a little here. Yeah. We'll give you a bill of rights, but you got to help us out. You've got to right. take care yeah. of these. Houses. And so, then so yeah. they were probably pushing back and the privatized the company is like, no, man. So I think this was a meet in the middle kind of situation. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's good. I didn't think about that. Uh, the new document was developed after Chief of Naval Operations Admiral Michael Gilday and fleet commanders determined that improving unaccompanied housing would positively impact sailor morale. The Bill of Rights is also just the first in a series of efforts the Navy plans to roll out soon. Among the rights guaranteed in the document are promises to provide safe housing that meets environmental and health standards. No black mold? Yeah, no black mold, no bad water. <laughs> uh, with working fixtures and utilities, clearly defined housing regulations, and the ability to report inadequate housing standards without fear of reprisal hmm. now that's scary as shit right <clears throat> it's like hey my heat's out again they're like oh <laughs> here we go again the complainer over here i mean <laughs> god dang without fear of reprisal that has to be said uh, uh, the um, da, uh the, go ahead jake i mean it does because remember all the facebook black mold stuff and and even in the desert, the mold stuff, the army's constantly complaining about their housing situation, but their leadership's getting involved because they're causing a lot of attention or drawing yeah. a lot of attention. And they're probably coming down on those guys who are posting that shit up there. Negative that's- attention. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> the document also sums up what the Navy expects of its sailors, including the responsibility to take pride and ownership of their residences, maintain daily living standards, allow <laughs> access for inspections or repairs, and provide a minimum 30-day notice prior to moving out. Now, that one seems kind of, I don't know, silly. How can um, you do that? I mean, do you get that kind of time when you get uh, orders in the, the Navy? Well, I think, oh, in the, okay. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I would think uh, the normal process would be, but... I mean, huh. I think I think the normal is actually short notice. <laughs> that's yes, that seems to be more the norm than anything else. Installation commanders will be required to post a bill of rights throughout unaccompanied housing facilities and within orientation handbooks by May 26th. Uh, a spokesman for Naval Installations Command, headquartered in Washington D.C., did not immediately respond to a request for comment that included clarification of the possible consequences if a sailor's rights were violated or if their responsibilities were not upheld. So they haven't thought that far through it yet. Well, my question is, are they going to do a mandatory, you must read the Bill of Rights and sign the fact that you read the Bill of Rights? Probably. 
Probably. Here. I would think so. Here. But I think the reporter was like, well, what happens if they don't? And Navy didn't respond to him. <laughs> That's why I don't think they've thought this all the way through yet. No. You know. They get kicked out of base housing. That's what happens if they yeah. don't. Yeah, probably. Yeah, right, right. You get to live on the ship today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're the one posting about uh, your hot water doesn't work, right? Uh, well, we got a little place that we just renamed up in, in Greenland that you might want to go visit. <laughs> They've got a great warm water tank. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, our last story of the day, which is alarming to me, really. Uh, but, you know, we've covered uh, an Army, Air Force, Navy, and a Marine story. So, from the Marine Corps Times, the Marine Corps will once again require troops to get breathalyzed. Wow. Marine hmm. units must once again conduct random breathalyzer tests on assigned troops following a years-long pause in a program because of COVID-19. With the public health emergency officially ending on May 11th, that should be a story in itself. Eric <laughs> Eric stops working for good for the rest of his life on May 11th, and COVID-19 emergency is officially over on May 11th. That's a good damn day. That's a seared date in my memory now. <laughs> Uh, Marine units will be required to resume the testing by June if they haven't done so already. A randomly selected tenth, tenth of each unit will undergo the test testing, known as the alcohol screening program, uh, each month, according to the Marine administrative message. So, Maradman. So, I think that's just a big memo, but it's called a Marine administrative message. Uh, that's in line with how the program ran prior to the p- pandemic. The Marines selected for the breathalyzing testing must also get screened for urinalysis testing. Okay. Oh, there's your marijuana testing right there. Right. Um, up. Yep. Testing is supposed to happen at different times of the day on different days of the month to make it hard for troops to predict when it will occur. The ASP supports commander's efforts to ensure Marines arrive to work safely and fit for duty. Okay. Uh, The purpose of the program is twofold, to deter drinking on or before the job and to identify Marines who may have a problem with alcohol misuse, according to the order laying out the program. Those who are found to have a blood alcohol content of 0.04 or higher get referred for counseling. Under military law. 0.04? That's what, like a beer? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Or a uh, a shot of Nyquil, <laughs> right? Uh, and that could differ from state to state, can it? What the, I, no, according to this, this is all throughout the Marines. So just period, regardless of where you're at. This okay. is for the Marines, yeah. I got you. Uh, under military law, it's illegal to be at work with a blood alcohol content of 0.08 or higher. Yeah, exactly. uh, the crime can serious can carry serious punishments, including confinement, uh, bad conduct, discharge, forfeiture of all pay and allowances. Hmm. So military law is 0.08, but according to the Marines, they, they say 0.04 is going to get you counseling. Wow. It, yeah. yeah. In it probably practice, depends on what's going on, right? Like if it's, if it's at 10 o'clock in the morning, if 8 o'clock in the morning, then you're like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. If anybody's drunk, then they're yeah. either hungover uh, or they, you know, they got an issue. Right? Good indicator. Yeah, yeah, good indicator. In practice, according to the website of Belecki Law Group, which specializes in defending military clients. Quote, we'd argue that drunk Marines running PT is such a common phenomenon in the Corps that command has no choice but to look the other way. That goes right back to that conversation I brought up before of my buddy Adam saying, what, you've never gone to PT drunk? (laughs) (laughs) Adam, so Adam's a former Marine, right? And and I'm like, no, first of all, I had PT once a week. And second of all... (laughs) but maybe i mean i it was all that makes it sound like it's a common thing i guess so yeah and and first of all i think this rule is a little bit sexist because 0.04 for the average male it's not a lot is one drink right not a lot yeah yeah average female it would be 0.06 is one drink oh yeah sexist Sexist rules. Yeah, but you know what? I think there are other reasonings here too. I mean, two hundred pounds, you can have two drinks and still blow a point oh four. But Jake, you are. I I think I wonder if you would have the freedom to declare your sexuality right before that breathalyzer is put in me. I identify as male. so I'm a, I'm a male. Actually, they'd want to be a male because they'd get less blood alcohol level. Oh, so I was going to yeah, say but- on a serious note, I think the Marines, because of their job, their role, their mission, they use drinking as a much bigger escape than the other services. Yeah, but before PT thing too. I don't think it matters, man. It's a it's a freaking I'm a man in the Marine Corps and I'm gonna drink, regardless of my age. Yeah. If I'm old enough to go to war, then by God I can drink. And I think that's the mentality. Well, I, it's a I'm with you on like that. A marine cultural thing. I mean, sure. with all of us, it was a cultural thing for us to oh, we, drink. We we drank like right. fish in the army. I mean, I, yeah, I guarantee I, we did. But nobody thought about drinking at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> no, yeah, I wasn't going to PT drunk. You know, that's a different unless, that's a unless different it was thing. left over from the night before. But that's and different. if the guy could do successful PT drunk, my hat's actually off to you. I'm like, that's badass. That's really <laughs> that's good. Impressive. But there's no way there's no better way to get you sober than to go for a three to five mile run. Oh yeah, that'll wake your ass up. <laughs> uh Rand Corporation researchers have found that the Marine Corps is the service with the highest prevalence of binge drinking defined as more than five drinks for more for men or more than four for women in one sitting in 2018 44.9% of marines reported binge drinking in the previous month compared to 34% across the military and you know what that is that's just those nobody coached those guys up on how to answer those questions holy mm-hmm. shit five drinks we're all fucking alcoholics right because when they ask you when those military docs ask you it's like do you drink Yes, I drink socially. How many Don't drinks? Shame. How many do you have a week? Uh, maybe three. Right? Yeah. How many do you I have in one sitting? Four, two on Friday, two on Saturday. And that's- <laughs> you got to learn how to answer those questions. That's just young guys not knowing how to answer those things, right? I put six down last night. 
Have you ever have you ever smoked pot? Yes, experimentally once a long time ago. Well, Eric was saying within the last not within the last twelve months now. That's correct. A oh, year. that's right. Yeah, you can you can say that now. Yeah, right. For a right. year. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's strictly for your clearance or security. Right. Clearance. Right. That's a clearance right. question. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to the original conversation: is like the federal government's got to see the writing on the wall and and pivot on this oh yes because i mean now almost half the states are recreational and minimum like three quarters are medical at least yeah well i i mean even even some other things like i've talked to a a couple guys which i didn't even know this was the thing a couple of like uh my daughter's friends who said hey i tried to get in but they rejected me because they cut as a kid and they have the scars from it. Oh, jeez! And they're like, "Oh no, that's uh, that's a mental thing. You can't come in." Really? And I was like, "But yeah, that was 10, 12 years ago." And I was like, "Nope." And they're so re- they were they have been rejected for that. Hmm. But now, if you didn't get, I a, thought about it. If and you stopped like- cutting your arm, and you would have tattooed your knuckle, <laughs> we would have brought you right in. Maybe. Good Throw something on your face, little skull and bones. Yeah. yeah. No problem. Crazy. <laughs> anyway, well, Marines were with you uh, because I remember the worst the worst place in the world to be was a Monday morning run at the back of the platoon in a group run because you had all of that hangover drifting yep. to you, and it was just the worst air you could ever breathe in your life on a PT Someone run. stepping off the side to puke. And, uh, man. Yeah, there was that too. But you knew that run would clear you right up. You know, yeah. you'd be good to go. Um, yeah, I mean, if they'd, have, if they'd have stuck a breathalyzer in my mouth on uh, my Monday morning, I'd be like, oh, God. You're, I'd be, I'd be okay. in the counseling. I'd be in the counseling. So. Uh, all right, let's wrap it up for today. But we have to cover our all-military Marine General selection. Right? Oh, yeah. So last week we presented the cases. I had General David Shoup. Eric, who'd you have? I had Chesty Puller. Never heard of her. <laughs> <laughs> the highest decorated Marine in service, by the way. I, okay. okay. How many Medal of Honors he got? Doesn't matter. He's got ah, okay. four <laughs> Navy Crosses. Five Navy Crosses. Five Navy Crosses and highest decorated <laughs> Marine that never received the Medal of Honor. And by the way, to this day, there's still some consideration to give it to him posthumously. All right. Jake, who did you have? I have I have four good conduct medals. Is that <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could turn one of those into a uh Air Force commendation medal? Uh I had Smedley Butler. Smedley Butler. Definitely had to have won. So we put that out for uh, people to comment on. And actually, I did get one comment that was interesting. Uh, It was from my sister. And she recommended General Robert Barrow from the United States Marine Corps. He's a four-star general. He was a 27th Commandant of the Marine Corps from 79 to 83. He served for 41 years, including duty in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. He got a Navy Cross, a Senior Service Cross. Uh, and several other awards, Silver Star, Legion of Merit. Wow. Um, and 
My brother-in-law, Jim Feeden, he was a pilot in the Marines. He served with uh, his best friend, who was General Barrow's son. He served with Rob Barrow. So hmm. my sister recommended General Barrow as a in competition. Good call. But she got no seconds on it, so he's not in competition. So <laughs> forty-two to eighty-three. Forty-two. That's, that's his years of service. Hell of a career. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, career. A, I mean, uh, you start uncovering all these generals, you're like, whoa! Especially the Marine ones. You're like, yeah, that's, how, that's, that's amazing. That's worthy. You know, more much more than the than the current Army generals or the Air Force generals. Um, the the Marine generals did some shit. Yeah, yeah that's no doubt. Sure. So, based on uh, voting from Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, the all time or the all military Marine general was General Smedley D. Butler. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations, Jake! Medal of Honor Jake. winner. <laughs> Two medals of honor. Two. Two? Two, yeah. Uh, I have a mark. I have a marksman ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> you can trade those in. Congratulations, Jake. Daryl yeah. Smedley was well, well, well worth it. And on that as note, as always, spoken from a true place of, with us, of ex- distinguished lack of knowledge. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, if we have no context, <laughs> if we haven't pissed off a Marine enough for him to come out and go, you guys are the dumbest three I've ever heard. <laughs> well, this this would do it. This episode would yeah, do it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. On behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more. Service Headline News. Man, thanks for the week, and I'll see you next week. Always a pleasure, guys. Yeah, it's always a good time. And Eric, always remember, when you're on the beach in Greece, PPE, which means goggles and plenty of soap damage. Yes, personal property equipment. (laughs) Yep. Protective. Oh, that's right. You failed. Yeah. (laughs) Take your marksmanship badge and go home. Nothing but sunburns and rashes in your future with that <laughs> Jake, thank you for your, your sincere concern of my trip. I got it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>